Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing Tottenham's 1-0 win over Crystal Palace. We'll also be discussing Ryan Mason's start as Tottenham acting head coach and then also looking ahead to Saturday's Premier League clash away at Aston Villa. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, all right, actually. It's like we kind of had a positive week of Tottenham to talk about. And, and guess who you can't see it right now? He's got a big old grin on his face as well because his team's not had too shabby a week, which in turn actually helped Tottenham as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah, loads to talk about and actually not too many negatives for a change, which uh, is very refreshing. Yeah, very rare we've had a positive podcast uh given the past few results, but Tottenham getting a crucial 1-0 win over Crystal Palace on Saturday. Harry Kane scoring the goal just before half-time. Certainly wasn't the most prettiest of games, but at this stage of the season, it's just the three points that matter. And Tottenham uh, did manage to do so and certainly helped out as well with, obviously, Everton winning 5-1 at Brighton yesterday. and then There he is. There's he... <laughs> I knew that was going to get in there very quickly. And then... Also, Aston Villa losing 1-0 away at Wolves. So, as things stand, Tottenham in six with three games left. Brighton do have two games in hand. So, I'm sure there'll be plenty more twists and turns, but all Tottenham can do now is just win their games and hopefully uh, they will finish the season in the top six. So, we'll, uh, we'll start with Ryan Mason's decision in terms of his team because it's fair to say there were a number of us sat in the media room at Tottenham at 2pm just thinking who's playing where in this team. Yeah and do you know what that was quite refreshing in itself. I think we've been so used to and this is not to like do down Conte or Stellini or any other person's tactics or whatever but it's just I think we've all known exactly how the team was going to line up. Um, You know, once in a while, a couple of the players might change, but tactically it was a very set system and it was something we were always going to see. So, yeah, as soon as that team came out, we were a bit like, okay, right, that could be anything. That could be a back four, it could be a back three, it could be a 4-2-3-1, it could be a 4-4-2, it could be a 4-3-3, even at a squash. Um it could be you could kind of work it into a three-five-two if you wanted. Um, so yeah, it was in a way it was kind of all of the above at times. It was a really interesting formation. Um, it took us a good, I'd say, probably five minutes at the start of the game to exactly work out what it was because um, you know if anyone kind of studies the whole tactical side of games and all that there can be, and this is exactly what this was, there can be different formations in possession and out of possession. It's not quite as simple as this is what they were playing. So we kind of had to work out, well, wait a minute, is this the formation they've just chosen or is it the one that they're just using in this exact scenario on the pitch, which then turns into something else? And that was exactly how it worked. It was a a 4-4-2 out of possession with Pedro Porro ahead of Emerson Royale. But then as soon as they got the ball, it kind of switched into... uh, it was like a 3-4-3, I guess, wasn't it? It was the more kind of common one that we know. Um, I mean, we were saying this as the match was kind of in its early stages. It was like the reversal of the old Jose Mourinho back four that he had. In the in those days, it was Ben Davies on the left and Sergio on the right. But Sergio was really pushed upfield. And then when Spurs were in possession, 
um, Ben Davies would tuck in. It would become a back three, essentially. And this was very similar the other day, but reversed because we actually had Ben Davies as the far kind of pushed up one down the left-hand side and Emerson Real was tucking inside to make a back three. And do you know what? I think we've said it before, but I think a lot of people, to be fair, have said it would be interesting to see how Emerson plays on the right of the back three. He was good. <laughs> he was very good. I know we're going to talk about Emerson, but I think that guy is making every possible case for why, for the next manager, he's going to be a very useful um weapon i guess um and it's something we probably would not have thought of saying what five months ago roughly when he was getting booed off or or ironically cheered off the pitch um yeah it was fascinating from mason obviously he's got a good team around him um matt wells the young um i say relatively young he's, he's not as young as ryan mason but he's quite highly regarded his assistant and for those who like their nostalgia he is the grandson of the great cliff jones the uh, double winning spurs uh welsh wizard on the wing um but yeah matt wells has kind of he's been around the academy set up then he uh, followed scott parker where he went i think it was to fulham bournemouth and where was the club they're at this year belgium wasn't it Yes, um, yeah. Um, my head. Club Bruges, was it? Club Bruges, that was it. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, they've had successes and things that haven't gone so well, but as a as a tactical mind, there's a lot of people that rate Matt Wells very highly, and, and obviously to help out Mason, he's, he's a very uh, kind of important cog in the wheel for him as well. So, yeah, I think we're seeing now lots of tactical changes. I think certainly in the games you were at, you could see changes mid-game that were happening uh, in the Man U and Liverpool matches. And this was one where we saw something big happening from the start. And I think it was no coincidence that you had a full proper week to work with the team. And we saw a very disciplined performance. I mean, what did you make of the formation? Uh, well, I was a bit surprised in terms of the team selection uh, to start with. I expected Richarlison to come in. I think the surprise was Eric Dyer dropping out of the eleven because I think... Yeah. Previously, when Mason had come in, some had probably seen as he was playing his mates and the players he'd played alongside. So I think some probably didn't expect Dyer to drop out of the team despite his performances. But, you know, credit to him. It shows he's making the big decisions. He's not afraid to drop people at all. And uh, I think that was certainly the correct decision going on a few of Eric Dyer's recent performances. And then... I think it was a big surprise as well to see Emerson Ryle back in the team. So I don't think that's one we really expected. Obviously, we knew he was working his way back to injury. And then it was also Yves Basuma on the bench, who no one expected at all. I think, did you ask Mason in his press conference about when Basuma could yes. be back? And I think he said he was, what, hopeful he'd be back before the end of the season. He pulled a bit of a Stellini on us. And he totally, even with like with his tactical switches, he, he fooled us in the press conference. He was very much, uh, we even st- ended the press conference and a few of us journalists were saying to each other, you know what? Oh, he's much better than Stellini on team news. He's really, you know, clear and he tells you what's happening. And we were all being taken for a little bit of a ride because he, he was, let's say, underplaying uh, some of their progress. I think Emerson, he said he was working hard and they hoped to have, they were hopeful they'd have him uh, before the end of the season. It was a day-by-day thing they were checking on him. So I don't think anyone expected, okay, he's ready to start a game and play the entire 95 minutes. And then with Basuma, I asked about him and he said, yeah, he's got a few hurdles to overcome first. 
I presume those hurdles were having his breakfast the next morning and tying up his bootlaces because, yes, he was there on the bench as well. Um, but, you know, I think uh, Ryan Mason's a bit like that. He likes to keep everything in-house. He doesn't want to give anyone any clues whatsoever towards whatever he might do, which is absolutely his right to do. Um, obviously, as journalists, it's a bit frustrating, but it's, I'm sure we're lo- way, way, way down on the list of priorities um, when it comes to stuff like that. But, no. It's uh, it was a surprise, definitely. Yeah, in terms of the formation, uh, it was refreshing to see. I mean, we've just been so used to seeing three four three over the past eighteen months, and probably on a couple of occasions three five two. It just shows Mason's tactically flexible, really, and that's what obviously Tottenham fans want to see. You just don't want to see the same formation, even when, you know, results are going against you, uh, you need to see a change at time. And no, it was really good uh, from Mason. I think certainly helps by the fact that he had a full week on the training pitch and speaking to Ben Davis after the game, he was saying basically because of the full week, it allowed Mason to work on the shape and see, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And they came up with a plan and yeah, Worked to perfection, really, because Tottenham got the three points that they needed. Absolutely, um, it was it was quite refreshing to see the team very confident in switching between formations mid-game um, and, and in and out of possession as well. Which I, I don't think we've always seen in the last few years. Um, and look, if let's say hypothetically someone like Julian Nagelsmann were to come in, this is a guy who. Changes uh, system formation can be up to three, four, five times in a game. So it was good to see that the players are able to make these switches effortlessly in a game. And and look, it didn't have the free-flowing attacking uh, creativity as they had against Liverpool and Man U. It didn't have that. But what it did have was real organisation. Um, Palace... You know, Palace has scored a fair few goals in recent games. I think it's something like 13 goals in the last six matches. They've had a couple of fours and fives. I think they've scored as well in some of their games. So this is a team that are kind of flying high in confidence going forward. Spurs nullified them. They had two shots on target, both very much easy gathers, really, for Fraser Forster. Um, And it was Spurs who had the better chances on goal. You know, you had the... uh, Romero header against the bar. You had Kane's goal. You had Porro's shot deflected. It was tipped over. You had Son running through and having that big chance in the second half. So I'd say all the main chances did fall to Spurs. And the scoreline could have been even more kind of emphatic than a 1-0. Um, so, yeah, no fair play to Mason. Um, like you say, the dire decision was a big one. It was a crowd-pleasing one, I think, uh, in making it. Um, he hasn't been in good form in recent weeks. He hasn't been showing the leadership and organizational skills you need of someone with his experience back there um and yeah i mean we never really bought into the whole he only plays his mates things back in 2021 i think it was one of those easy things to say because fans like to see certain players play um and you know you think back and those some of those players who weren't being picked back then that were the issue for the fans tongi underbelly was one and there's a bit like, okay, he's not even part of the club's plans now. Joe Roden, you know, Joe Roden, for whatever reason, has been sent out on loan. He's not at the club now. So you kind of do look back and you think, well, those players that you wanted to play then are actually not playing for the club anyway after Woods for previous uh, 
success, um, subsequent managers. So, yeah, it always felt like a bit of a harsh criticism at the time. I think he was a very young manager, 29 years old then, who was coming in and thinking, right, well, I'm going to go with what I know. And I think that was the key to what he did. Um, and, you know, don't forget, he won four of those six matches in the Premier League. It's like, he was a 29-year-old and he managed that. I really think there was this strange kind of, I don't know if it's a rewriting of, but this is strange way that people took Mason's reign. Um, even the Carabao Cup final. It's like, yeah, they, 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 they lost it and you could argue it was quite defensive, but City won that with a late goal, a 1-0 win. It wasn't even like, Pep Guardiola absolutely tactically thought him he was blown off the pitch or anything like that. I thought, I've always maintained it. He had a really good spell back then as a 29-year-old who didn't even have his pro license then. Um, and even and now he's, you know, he's far more experienced. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was some good stuff. And I thought that right-hand side was a very key move as well. I thought Dyer coming out was key because you had... Longley and Romero had a real balance, you felt, to that duo in the middle. A left footer and a right footer. They worked, they complemented each other really well. Um, but yeah, that right-hand side, uh, I think, was a, a real basis for a lot of the good things Spurs did at both ends of the pitch, and, and that included the goal. Yeah, very much so. I thought Pedro Porra, obviously, a lot's been made about his defensive play uh, in recent weeks, especially, obviously, the Newcastle, Manchester United, Liverpool games, uh, Tottenham's opponents, you know, have taken advantage of his struggles at the back. But he showcased on Saturday why he was brought to the club. Uh, I think obviously did help having Emerson behind him and his role, obviously with it being a 4-4-2 out of possession or a 3-4-3 when on the ball. It meant he was always in an advanced role anyway. So he was allowed to get forward, allowed to attack and... Fantastic ball in uh, for Harry Kane's goal. Really good hook pass from Kane in the build-up to set Porro free on the right, and he just stood it up to the back person. It was a fantastic header and a couple of opportunities for Porro in uh, the second half. He mentioned they had one deflected effort, tipped over, and then there was another one when he caught in on his left and went for goal, and I think he really probably should have squared that ball to Son at that point, who yeah. had a bit of a moan at him after, but all in all, I thought it was a really, really good display uh, from Porro, and Mason opened up about his tactics after the game in his press conference, because I think he knew of the dangers of Michael Elise, uh, Eberetje, Eze, and Wilfred Zaha up front for Palace. He just didn't want Palace to get to the ball to them because then those three can make things happen and you know they tried to make uh try to open up gaps uh towards the end of the game when they were pushing on for an equalizer and mason you know outlined the importance of having six players pressing palace high as soon as they got the ball so that was kane richarlison son pierre milhoiberg oliver skip and poro as well so they they all had key roles to play in that and i thought the tactics really did uh, work well. I don't think you can have any complaints at all about them because they did get the win. Yeah, I think it was really important to see Spurs higher up the pitch. That was a huge thing as well. Um, like I say, it wasn't you know the most incredibly enthralling, exciting game ever, but one big shift was that you didn't see them sitting back a lot. They weren't being pinned back. Despite, you know, you just said there, Zaha, Eze and Elise, 
two incredibly skilled, uh, sorry, three incredibly skillful players that can absolutely throw, you know, wonderful skills at you going forward and everything. That on, you know, in previous months, Spurs would have sat back deep in their own half, invited the pressure on and perhaps conceded this time. They kind of, they just kept pushing them and pushing them back. And then it was, yeah, tactically, he got it spot on. And and you look at his three games, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about Mason later, but, you know, he's taken on Ten Hag, Klopp, and Roy Hodgson, you know, one of the, you know, I think it was, isn't it the oldest and youngest managers up against each other, I think, in the match, of the, in the league this season? I'm pretty yeah. sure it was. Did they say there's 44 years between them yeah. both, something like that, yeah. yeah. Well, this is the irony, isn't it, that Roy Hodgson was the guy that gave Ryan Mason his England debut. <laughs> it's just <laughs> mad, isn't it? Um, but yeah, he's taken on three high-profile, very knowledgeable managers there, and I wouldn't say he's been tactically outthought by any of them. Um, if anything, you know, the Liverpool game was just the embarrassing collapse that happened, has happened at Spurs in the early on in games. United similar, uh, but each time tactically, I felt he really kind of showed what he was made of, Mason. Um, and yeah, absolutely shut out Palace. Um, I thought Porro, yeah, that was a big one for him. That was um, a game that showed kind of what he can bring. Um, the cross was lovely to Kane. It was such a perfect cross. Kane's run, his movement was incredible. You know how how you manage to not realise Kane has ghosted him behind you to head uh, head a goal, and that's why you know that goal was a uh, was it was the record, wasn't it? Ten in a season headed goals, uh, overcoming this Duncan Ferguson chap that you might know. Um, and yeah, and it's because he's got this ability to ghost in behind defenders and don't realise he's there, and he's suddenly he's popping up at the back post to head in a goal. Um, but Emerson as well. Emerson was just, honestly, from someone who, you know, would often criticise. And I like to think I was criticising the fact that he was clearly a man out of position. That was always my issue with it. You know, I think as a right back, I think you could always say he was always a solid right back. As a wing back, just not really. You know, it, it's, it's att- attacking is not his thing. And that's why I was saying that I love how this just little tweak to the formation it allowed Porro to bang on an attack. He'd come back and track back and help, don't get me wrong, but he didn't put a lot of emphasis on his defending. Whereas for Emerson, they would just said to him, no, you, you sit there. You sit there and defend. You can come up a little bit and, and, and join in and help kind of pass the ball off to others, but we don't want any more from you than to defend. And he was magnificent. Um, Emerson, you know, taking on Zaha, who is a guy that is... I think you could always tell with Zaha... When you've got the better of him, his moaning becomes absolutely ridiculous. Um, you watch him to start of the game, it's all about his confidence, all about the tricks and the flicks and the skills and everything. But if the defender is getting the better of him, I don't think I've, I've seen few people on the football pitch moan as much as Zaha does um, when it's not going his way. And to be fair to him, he probably gets kicked a lot with the skills he's got. But he and Emerson, and I think I feel like we've seen this before. I feel like I've seen Emerson and Zaha have a really good tussle before in a in a in a previous game. Um and yeah, I, I'd say on the whole he had the better of him, Emerson. And also I think him he and Romero work well as a as a pairing down the right as well. Um obviously Romero and Porro is a little bit more kind of dubious. Um that's one that needs work. But uh yeah, no massive Massive credit, really, to Emerson for the way he's turned everything around. And 
just even the reaction before the game when his name was read out, the crowd, the cheer he got, and you think, whoa, this absolute turnaround in his connection with the fans is incredible. Um, and he's kind of made himself one of the important names on the team sheet now, which is is, is lovely to see. Um, and yeah, and, and clearly the guy's got fantastic fitness levels to come straight in and play 95 minutes. I know he didn't have to bomb up and down as much as he would as a wing back, but still, fitness wise, dealing with Zaha for 95 minutes was was superb. It was absolutely superb. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, it was bringing the flicks and tricks out as well at one stage. In the first half, I think he was juggling the ball. Uh, I think it might have been Zaha who was up close to him trying to win it and yeah, managed to wriggle away from him and then head it down to another Tottenham player. And Pedro Porro certainly appreciated that and applauded him for his play. Uh, I think the position probably helped Emerson because defensively is sound, he's, he's good at the back and then that in turn probably helps Romero out as well, given you know Porro's struggles uh, in terms of his defensive play when he has been operating as a, a right wing back. So yeah, full credit to Emerson Royale and I think his showcase to uh, Ryan Mason and potentially whoever comes in and takes on this Tottenham job that if they are going to operate with a back three going forward, then he can take on this right-sided centre-back role. I think it's one we've probably mentioned that he could do it in the past, but I don't think it was really given the opportunity there. I'm sure I've seen him play there at one point. It might have been late on in, in the game. I can't yeah, remember. It was. Yeah. But never had a sustained run in that position or a full match. So, yeah, uh, full praise to him. Good to have him back. And I think it was needed just another option on the right because Ryan Mason was short on the right and then on the left as well because of the injuries. So nice to see Emerson, Yves Basuma coming back in this running because I think they'll have a part to play. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, if we're talking about the right for now, you know, Richarlison, he might not have had the impact up front that we'd like to see, but coming back, a lot of he and Son both did a lot of defensive work. Um, and, you know, he gave us, as Dan from the Evening Standard, next to us, called it the, the JJ Okocha scoop that we had as well. He, he flicked it over, was it? Jordan uh, Ayu. Ayu, yeah. yeah. Who then ran back and somehow managed to pull Richarlison and Emerson over into one move, which was quite impressive. And got himself a yellow card. But yeah, that's what Richarlison brings you. Um, you know, Kulisevsky, obviously, he works hard, but he doesn't have the aggression that uh, Richarlison brings in his play. Um, and you always know he's going to fight for everything and be an absolute pest. Um and uh, yeah, no, no, he he did well from a defensive aspect. I still think we need to see more from Richarlison going forward. Obviously, he got the goal. Finally, got the Premier League goal. But let's be honest, I'm sure he wouldn't have envisaged his first Premier League goal coming in May um, for the club. Um, but yeah, yeah, those uh, the two Brazilians obviously work well together down there with Porro as well. That right side was pretty much locked up, which you know we cannot absolutely cannot undervalue um, how important the clean sheet was. I mean, that's the first clean sheet since the end of February. I think the Chelsea game, wasn't it, at home? That defence needed that so badly. Um, especially, you know, to have gone from the team that's it just is known at the moment of just conceding ridiculous amounts of goals early in games 
to shut out a team that is, like we said earlier, is absolutely free scoring for a lot of their recent games as well, has really found their touch in front of goal. Um, that was big. That was huge. Um, obviously, I don't think it helped Eric Dyer at all. Um, obviously, you can argue. He might argue. He came on for the last seven minutes or so. Uh, to, I think it was 88th minute and the five, five minutes of added time. And he helped them see out the clean sheet. But as long as Clement Longley's okay with his shoulder, you'd think you'd stick with that, probably the, those tactics at Villa as well. I, I think you'd probably be quite mad to go away from something that worked. Um, but obviously, but that is a good thing about what Mason's doing. He does seem to be kind of trying to adjust and adapt to the opponents as well. Um, and I think we're seeing that in a lot of the tactics and how different each game has been to the next. But then, yeah, the extra week does play a big part in that. But uh, yeah, what did you think of Sonny down the left? Uh, I thought not a lot going forward, but what impressed me was his defensive work. Uh, because as I was saying, Ryan Mason wanted six players, you know, pressing Palace and as soon as he got the ball in their own half. And it was his defensive work that really caught the eye. Most notably in the second half when Palace had a couple of opportunities. I think there was one where Eze had the ball, uh, played the long ball over the top, looking to release Elise. I think this was from a Spurs corner and Son crucially got a header in. And then there was a, another couple of times, one where he got tackled Will Sahar when he was looking to burst from Tottenham's box into uh, the final third. And he again got the better of Elise as well. So I thought, you don't always see it with Son, the defensive shift, uh, like you do with Richarlison. Heading the ball, you don't see a lot from it. Yeah. It was fantastic. But no, uh, that was brilliant from Son. Really, really good defensive performance. Probably he'd have liked more going forward, but no, uh, I think Ryan Mason will have been really, really pleased with the performance of Son and the same with his, his teammates as well. They'll certainly acknowledge the part he played in that win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he obviously had the big chance that he could have scored from. It was a really nice movement getting onto Romero's um, kind of almost Toby Alderweireld-esque pass from the back. Um, and he was just unfortunate, I think, that Johnson pulled off a really good save. You know, he did try to round it and it was a very, very good save. So that could have been a goal for his efforts. But yeah, defensively, he was so disciplined. He had the role of, which we've not been used to. We've seen him taking set pieces in the past, but his role was very much the guy that had to get off and sprint very quickly back if Palace counterattacked from a set piece, a, a Spurs attacking set piece. And he did it to a T. And look, I understand there's, there's some people have gripes about the fact that should such a player be having to do such a defensive shift. But I think if you look at all the best teams, um, you know, like you look at, say, let's say Man City this season, all of their players have a defensive role as well. You know, they do. I mean, we were... Only was it a couple of weeks ago? People talk about Jack Grealish and the the defending he was doing. I can't remember what game it was now, where he was coming back and, and tracking back and, and doing all the things he needs to do, making tackles and headers. And you know, and, and Sonny's doing this as well. So I think it's only a credit to Sonny. I don't think it's a waste of his talents. I think it's showing kind of what a team player he is and how uh, he'll sacrifice you know aspects of what he does to be able to do that. And it wasn't just him. We've spoken about Richarlison coming back constantly. Kane, there are examples of him. There was, he made a big clearance in front of his own goal as well. He was coming back plenty as well. It's about 11 players, I guess, all being committed to getting the result. 
um, and doing whatever it takes to do that. And I think that's something that Spurs have maybe missed. I think Spurs have kind of, it's always been maybe looked at the defence, that's your guys, you've got to deal with that. If we're conceding goals, it's your fault. But if the attacking players give their all at the other end of the pitch, they press hard, they tackle, they track back, it makes it difficult for that ball to get anywhere near the defence in the first place. And that's what, you know, Mourinho used to, I always remember when he came in, he made it very clear about the defensive process. He never wanted to talk about the defence, it was a defensive process. I remember him when I used that term in a press conference, him going, thank you, thank you, kind of thing. He actually kind of understood it. Um, That's not to say his team was the most attacking at times, but I get the, the logic is that the whole team has to defend and also the whole team has to attack. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it was it's another I think feather in the cap for Ryan Mason. I think it's something he's managed to get them doing that they haven't been doing in recent weeks. Um, but obviously, we cannot leave the subject of of Sonny without unfortunately mentioning the once again disgraceful um, what appeared to be a racist gesture in his direction, um, which obviously videos and photographs circulated after the game from from within the uh, the Palace support. Both clubs have come out, uh, condemned it, investigating it. Uh, I'd say actually Palace's was even stronger, their statement, very much saying kind of the Palace one almost pretty much acknowledged that it happened, whereas the rest, uh, I think legally you've got to obviously say that you're investigating. There's, there's very much set ways you've got to talk about it. Um, but it's just horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And Sonny's had to deal with this far too much. I'm not saying he's the only person that ever has to deal with this, but it just feels like we've spoken about this now a fair few times with Sonny. Um, it's whatever the excuse is, whether it's anger, frustration, jealousy, bitterness, whatever it is, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for people doing stuff like this. Um, do you know what? I just wish there was like an instant uh, form of like cameras instantly like you just hear a big noise like ah, ah, and that person is immediately like ejected from a stadium they should have ejector seats or something because it's just it's just disgraceful and and for me if you're caught doing something like not even caught if you do something like that you should be done you shouldn't be watching football games you shouldn't be allowed into any sporting arena for me stuff like that because i'll be honest i've been one of those people that i'm not the biggest fan of people just even just other kinds of abuse at players I, I don't like it it's not something i'd ever do as a football fan going to a ground i understand people get angry but um, i mean i said this before but I, I do wonder whether there's this weird thing where people um how do i put it kind of dehumanize players there's someone they see on the telly there's someone they see in a computer game they don't kind of realize that there's human beings just like them that have feelings and emotions and family and children having to watch that or siblings that have to watch them receiving this horrible abuse. Um, you know, I always think back to the Eric Dyer situation and him having to kind of get in the crowd because he just just kind of lost it with some of the things that were happening. And yeah, it, I, I don't get it. And unfortunately, you just get people doing horrible stuff like this. Um, but it looks like it's all hopefully being dealt with. Um, and... Yeah, it just I'd love to be able to say we're never going to see. I'd love to never see stuff like this again. But unfortunately, I just don't know if it'll it'll ever be eradicated uh, because it's it's just something in life, isn't it? A really sad, sad aspect of life. And I just feel so sorry for Sonny that he has to deal with stuff like this. I mean, 
look, it didn't help. They had to walk across the around the whole pitch. But again, that's no excuse. Absolutely no excuse for any anything like that to take place. Yeah, it's just something we don't want to see at all in football, and hopefully we never see it again. And we don't need to talk about it on the podcast again. Uh, another player I think we need to discuss it. We've not really mentioned in depth so far. Christian Romero. I thought he was absolutely fantastic uh, on Saturday against Crystal Palace. The week before, at Liverpool probably showcased you know the worst of him at times, where he's just rash and making reckless tackles, especially that one he did to give Liverpool a penalty. But Saturday, for me, showcased the best of Christian Romero. And this is the Christian Romero, Ryan Mason and Tottenham need to be seeing week in, week out because he, he, he showed why he's such a good player and why he's highly rated uh, in world football. And really unlucky with a header from Pedro Porra's corner, uh, what hit the bar in the first half. But... A number of good tackles throughout the game uh, made life really, really difficult for Crystal Palace when they were trying to attack and get back into the game. And I just thought, full credit to him, he was fantastic on Saturday. Fingers crossed this is the Romero we see for the remaining three games and then also going into next season as well. Well, this is the thing. When he controls his aggression, he's dominant. Absolutely dominant he can be in a in a on in a in a match situation. When he loses the control of that aggression, he's reckless. And that's that is the Jekyll and Hyde nature of Romero because and he can do it, you know. I think I mentioned oh, when was it? It was last season. I think I mentioned to Ken, uh, Conte in a, a question just about the amount of yellow cards he was picking up, Romero, and how close he was to a ban. Conte quite publicly came out and said, Yeah, he needs to stop that. It's 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 something. It's a weakness. He doesn't need to do it. Didn't get another yellow card for the rest of that season, so he can do it. It's just like he knows how to control it. But I don't understand. I don't know whether he sometimes. I don't know how whether it's just something. Uh, having too much confidence in his ability sometimes, maybe believing his own hype a bit. I don't know. But when you see performances like this, you can see the player he can be. You know, what is he, 25 now? And he's a World Cup winner. So, of course, you know, he's had a season that, apart from the club level, he's going to remember very fondly. But he's a guy that he's got so much going for him. He's got all of the natural abilities and talents to be an absolutely world-class defender, I think. He's he's just got to just put it in the right package, I guess, and, and not let this the aggression and recklessness kind of overcome him. Because I was looking at his numbers against Palace, three tackles, five interceptions, won six aerial duels, and made eight clearances. And of course, we also saw, like I said, that Toby Alderweireld-esque pass to Son, just to show another side to his game as well. Um, when he feels that he doesn't have to rampage forward, when he feels that he has a set job to do and doesn't have to cover for others, I think that's when you see him at his best. You know, some people might argue he and Dyer doesn't work particularly well together. I think... I understand that to a degree, but I do think we've seen them paired up together and have a lot of good defensive performances as well. So I, I wouldn't entirely agree with it. Um, but certainly he did look more settled and knew what his job was on um, Saturday. But um, yeah, he's, like you say, exactly that. This is the Romero we want to see. This is the one that was the Serie A Defender of the Year uh, at Atalanta. 
this was the guy that Spurs, you know, paid big money for as well, and see him as the long-term future of that central defence. Um, yeah, if he can learn and develop and become, you know, because he's nowhere near his peak. You know, centre-back's probably, what, 28, 29, 30. Uh, they're, they're really at their peak. So he's got a way to go yet. And it's quite frightening, to be honest. It should be frightening for attackers because if he can get everything um, in the right boxes that it needs to be uh, to be the, the top central defender he can be, yeah, he's going to be some centre-back. But it needs to be consistent. It can't be just one game he's amazing and then he has a run of slightly reckless games. He's got to control it all, all the time. I think the role probably also as well helped helps him because it meant then he just couldn't run forward as and when he pleases as he usually does because he was the central one in the back five when they went that way. Uh, and then also when it was the back four, you can't have one of your centre-backs just going wandering at times. So, yeah, that probably did help him. Uh, so, yeah, really, really good display from Romero. Plenty of positives uh, to say about him. Right, as we're halfway through the show, Ali, do you want to know what, let everyone know the benefits of using NordVPN? Yep, as you may be aware, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use this service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. So if you're not aware, NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's a service I've used for many years before they came on board as a sponsor, so I can kind of feel I can talk about it without being biased. Um, and it is something I use a lot of times to be able to watch stuff abroad that ordinarily you wouldn't be able to because for some reason you can't watch things you've paid for at home abroad, which is a very strange way of doing it. But with this um, service, you can kind of make your phone or device think it's back home in England and you can uh, watch whatever you want. And, you know, it's also a very secure thing as well. It locks up your phone when you're using public Wi-Fi, so it stops those nasty cyber criminal types from taking anything off your phone or devices um it's just a really great service all around and not only that but the outlay on a nordvpn subscription is cheaper for you in the long run and that's because you know like i say you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate so let's for instance say you could book flights from other countries because that could be cheaper too so it means you're paying out for nord but you're actually saving money overall there are a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Let's discuss the job Ryan Mason's doing at Tottenham then at the moment because... Uh, in the press conference, I think it was ahead of the Manchester United game, he certainly uh, threw his hat into the ring for the permanent job. And what he's done so far, it's four points from a possible nine. But you're looking at the first two games, Spurs could have beaten Manchester United. They had the chances in the second half. And then you look at the the goals they conceded as well. And then they had more than enough chances to win that Liverpool game as well and as you alluded to early in the show he's shown how good he is tactically uh his setup's been really really good and he's not afraid to change things uh he's certainly making his case isn't he at the moment i think he is and i think i think there's a certainly i'm seeing 
obviously, again, you can only take it off social media, but I feel like I'm seeing more of a a swaying towards fans being like, well, okay, yeah, if it's Ryan Mason, I actually wouldn't be too unhappy with that. I think that's kind of a general sense I'm getting. I wouldn't say everyone, uh, but I would say that the, he's definitely got, I'd say, more support at this moment in time if he, uh, you know, if the club were to end up giving it to him. Personally, I'm not entirely sure I can see that happening purely because of the pressure on Daniel Levy to, I guess, satisfy fans. Because that, I think that's that's the sad thing about it is that I think there's a lot of reasons why you could appoint Ryan Mason. Um, I think he understands the club and he understands the fans. He understands, well, clearly tactics and football as well. You know, he's obviously going to be quite a gifted coach. Um, I just wonder whether it's just unfortunate timing. It's come a little bit too early because I think you'd have some fans, not the ones I was just talking about. I think you'd have other fans that would see it as a cheap, unambitious move from Levy. And unfortunately, at the moment, with the criticism of leaving, obviously there were chants again on Saturday, um, that I think he needs to not look like he's being cheap and unambitious. And I think, unfortunately for Ryan Mason, that counts against him. because, And that's nothing Ryan Mason can do about that. Because, you know, you look at what he's done. Like I said, 29 years old when he did it last time. He's now 31. He got his pro license. He got that in January. He looks like a guy that's got a lot of confidence now in his own ability, which is fantastic. I mean, I think he always had a little bit of that, but now I feel like he's really got that alongside his authority. Players really like his training sessions, as they did back in 2021 as well. You know, I think we've told you before that uh, Antonio Conte, in his first day when he came to the club, he wasn't able to work because his work permit hadn't arrived. He could only observe. He was so impressed by Mason's training sessions and the the tactical depth of them and and everything that was involved in them that he made very quickly a case of, I want this guy on my coaching staff. And Mason had no real intention of being on the coaching staff. He'd actually rejected the chance to be on Nuno's. But when Conte came calling, it was, well, okay, you know, experience-wise, it's going to be really good for me. And it is because, you know, we know he's a disciple of Pochettino, but he's also maybe slightly further from from afar, he's seen Mourinho stuff. He was obviously more academy-based during that time. But then we've seen him learn under Conte as well. And, you know, he's got a lot of different kind of education experience um, that he's put into his CV. And, you know, he's already got five wins, five Premier League wins as a manager. That's more than a lot of managers out there. You know, he's only 31. And, you know, my mind goes to uh, poor old Frank De Boer. Who I don't, did he even get one in his time in the Premier League? Did he lose all four? I can't remember. I feel like he did. Yeah, I don't feel he ever got a win. So, and this is the thing for me is when, if I'm Ryan Mason and I'm looking at some of the candidates that are being, you know, linked with and, you know, Spurs have looked at, the likes of, you know, Xavi Alonso is a good one because Xavi Alonso, is, he's been a manager since October. And Ryan Mason must be thinking, why are you looking at him? <laughs> I'm here. Look at me kind of thing. It's like, I know this club inside out. Um, and yeah, you know, don't get me wrong, Alonso's done a fantastic job with Leverkusen. He's swept them up the table, doing really well in Europe. Um, but Mason be, will be thinking, well, what's what's he got that I haven't? You know, I've and and he's not gonna he's gonna have to come in, and anyone's gonna have to come in and adapt to this club, which is a it's a very different club. Let's be honest, it's, it's a quirky club to put it nicely. 
Um, but Ryan Mason understands a lot of that as well. Um, obviously, some fans might have fears that could, um, you know, could he attract signings? Could his name attract signings on its own? Whereas maybe in the past, you know, you'd have had a Conte and Mourinho, people would have wanted to join for them alone and Pochettino as well. Although I guess Pochettino, you could argue, maybe that wouldn't have been the way at the start. You know, Pochettino earned that reputation and maybe that's something Mason could do. But I suppose you could flip that round and you could say, Ryan Mason is probably a very good way of keeping Harry Kane. You know, Ryan Mason and Harry Kane are bestest of buddies. You know, they are, it sounds weird to say for a manager and their player, but obviously he, he's so young. That they, you know, they came up in the academy together a couple of years apart, but they would still play in a lot of the same academy sides. Obviously, first team together, England, they got into the team at the same time as well. I think they go on holidays, them and their families together nowadays. If if Harry Kane is going to want to stay and play for anyone, Ryan Mason is very high up that list. Um, so, you know, whether that comes into any thinking, I don't know. But certainly you'd think he'd be happy to give him another year and who knows how that year would go. If you want to see anyone succeed, it's, it's one of your best mates. Um, and look, I know that shouldn't be a reason alone for appointing anyone, but there's lots of other positives to it. But I just fear that it's it's just too early and it's an unfortunate timing. Had, let's say, had Daniel Levy not been under all of this pressure, Spurs manager had gone early in the season, Mason had had the whole second half of the season, then maybe you could see it that, okay, he's done a terrific job, let him continue. I just wonder whether they would see it as too much of a gamble right now or, like I say, a lack of ambition, uh, which is a shame because I do think a lot of fans... I think there's a lot of, there's a kind of a feeling out there. I think a, f- a growing number would be happy with him. I think then you've got another section of fans that would say, oh, I'd love Nagelsmann, but if they can't get Nagelsmann, I'd be quite happy with Mason. And then you'll have probably this other little section of a line. No, I don't want Mason. I want, you know, someone really exciting and, and an ambitious move. So where do you stand on him? Uh, let's see how he does the remainder of the season, but I think he's impressing. I think he's certainly impressed uh, a lot more people over the past two weeks, uh, really, given how Spurs have played. I know results, you know, haven't always gone the way, but they're playing a lot better football. Uh, He's shown what he can do tactically as well. For me, I just, I think with you, I I think there's just too much pressure on Daniel Levy on this appointment. It's it's huge given what's happened at Tottenham since Maurizio Pochettino left the club, you know, haven't moved forward uh, at all and the need to get things right. And this summer, it can be like a big reset at Tottenham giving you need a new head coach, a new managing director of football. My fear is just if, if he goes for Mason, I don't think a lot of the fans will be happy with that and then it's a case of well if it backfires you're back to square one you could be october november results might not have gone your way and you might think you need to make another change in the uh, managerial hot seat i just think there's too much pressure and i think a lot will also you know point to his age but as he said he's not that young in terms of coaching experience because he's got six yeah. years under his belt. And look at Mikhail Arteta at Arsenal. How old's he? 
early forties. Say you years older than Mason, yeah. Say if you retire, what 35, 36, add those six years coaching experience on early forties. Yeah. Uh yeah. I'd I'd like to see him have a go at the job. I think he's got so much he can offer. Obviously, uh one of Tottenham's own as well. What helps? I just think there's too much pressure on Daniel Levy for this decision. This decision, and they said it last week. Even if you point Nagelsmann or someone else, there's no guarantee that'll work. There's no guarantees with whoever you're going to appoint. So I think let's just see what happens uh, in these remaining three games, and then what happens in terms of Tottenham's manager search. I've got a question for you. Do foreign managers? get more patience and time than English ones or, f- or British ones? Probably. Uh, I think it might be the same with foreign players as well. Yeah. Uh, fans always seem more excited when it's a foreign player coming into the club uh, from somewhere else. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I think with, I know there's a lot of talk with Alonso as well, but as you're saying, he's only been in the job since October, so he, he doesn't have the coaching experience Mason does. Well, even and, Vincent Company, I know obviously yeah. he signed a new deal now, so that one isn't a road that they kind of continue going down, but he's had one good season. Yeah. Let's be honest. Anderlecht did not work for him whatsoever. It was really kind of, it wasn't a great time. He's had one good season in a, in a, a lower, a second division, essentially. But obviously massively hyped because he had a terrific campaign. Yeah. With Alonso, given he's early being a manager for a matter of months, are people looking at Alonso and thinking, oh, is this really highly rated coach just because of his playing career, just because yeah. he had a glittering playing career, big name, won trophies wherever he went. And in terms of managers, the best players don't always make the best managers. It doesn't yeah. work out like that. So, yeah, interesting one. I think all Mason can do is just try and win these games, uh, try get Tottenham into a Europa League place and then see what happens. I think that he's got a good future ahead of him. I think he's got a really, really good future ahead of him. And I'm sure one day uh, he will be Tottenham boss, but whether or not it's from August onwards, I, I can't see it. Yeah, he's got to be so clever about his career now, hasn't he? Because it's, I think he'll be ready this summer, whatever. If it's not Spurs, I think he'll be ready to kind of head off. I don't think it would be, I'd be surprised if he'd be happy to do another apprenticeship underneath another manager. I think he now would feel that he's ready. Um, But he's got to pick that next job so carefully because essentially you can bury your coaching career before it's even begun if you pick the wrong club put yourself in bad circumstances that other people outside might not understand. And that's why I think he probably thinks Spurs is is the perfect one for him because he knows it so well. Uh, he can slip into the role quite easily. And even if it didn't go perfectly, he could then probably get a job elsewhere because of it. it's Spurs. Whereas I think if he does it the other way around, it, it's a tough one. Uh, I mean, maybe that, that's where Vincent Comedy deserves credit because he has stepped down in a way um, and then kind of rebuilt what he was doing. Um, But we'll see. The one big thing I do wonder is whether Daniel Levy is wondering, why didn't I just appoint him 
when Conte went. <laughs> you, just, you just wonder, just those extra couple of little games, I wonder whether he could have made more of a difference and they might be a little bit closer to that top four than they are right now. I'd say they probably would. Yeah, yeah, I probably agree with you. I mean, what were the games Stellini had in charge? Everton, Everton at first. Was it Brighton after that? Brighton, Um, Newcastle, Bournemouth as well. Four games. Yes. Yeah, given how Tottenham are playing at the moment, yeah, you can see if Mason had been in charge for those four games, I think they certainly would have a few more points. Uh, But unfortunately, that's just not the case. So Tottenham are just going to have to do what they can in these remaining three games and try and sew up uh, a Europa League place. Just on Mason, though, we were a few of us were speaking to Harry Kane in the mix zone after the game, and it was put to Kane uh, about Mason's start to life as head coach. And obviously, I think it was asked for his verdict on what would he think if Mason was appointed head coach. And I'll read what he said Uh Kane said, I think we're all behind him. We know the club is in a situation where he spoke about getting some of the values back. I feel like Ryan brings all those attributes. He's been here through the academy. He knows what it's like as a fan. He knows what it's like to play here. With that attitude and that desire, he brings a great enthusiasm to the coaching role here. Then that's certainly the main bit from that is the values, what Tottenham have been missing and the fact that Mason, you know, can bring them back and get Tottenham back uh, to playing that way. And yeah, as, as you said, if Mason's appointed, does that mean then Kane stays? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think he, he could well do. And to be honest, we haven't really spoken about even Harry Kane. This is the thing. We're so used to praising Harry Kane that we're kind of, <laughs> it's like we're 51, 52 minutes into this and we haven't even really spoken about the fact that he just smashed another load of records again, and he saved Spurs again with a match-winning goal. That's 26 Premier League goals for him now this season, which is just... When you look at the state of how Spurs have been this season, it's just incredible. Everyone's going to talk about Haaland, of course, because he's had an incredible season. Um, 35 Premier League goals. But for Kane to only be nine behind in a team that has created so little in so many games, I just think it's incredible. And I will continue to say this. You put Kane in that City team, I think he scores the same, if not more, than Haaland has this season. I will stand by that 100%. I think he will. And that's not to do down Haaland, who I think is phenomenal and is only going to get better as well. Um, but yeah, the latest record. So we said about the 10-headed goals earlier on, um, overcoming Duncan Ferguson. Uh, I'm going to keep saying that. Um, and it also meant that he kind of had this quite cool thing of becoming the first Premier League player to score 100 goals at home and 100 goals away from home. I think it's 100 at home now, 109 away, which is ridiculous. It just shows that he's like, he doesn't need the crowd around him. He just is so focused on it. And even maybe more importantly for him, he's now the second highest all-time top scorer in the Premier League. That goal took him clear of Wayne Rooney onto 209 goals. And even looking at that, so Rooney reached 208 goals in 491 appearances. Kane's hit 209 in 317. It's just it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Obviously, Alan Shearer is the only one in his way now. 260 goals, just 51 behind. Um, 
you wouldn't bet against him doing it. The only thing really that can stop him now is injuries. That's all it is. And even then, 51 goals, you know, if he's scoring at a rate of 25 plus a season, you know, he could do that within two seasons if he is injury free. Um, I just think he's phenomenal. It, it just everything he does, like the pass in the build up to that goal out to Poro was so instinctive. It just the way he took Ben Davies played a really good but really powerful pass that Kane had to control kind of at knee height with his left foot. And in the same move, swiveled and hit it with his right into Porro's run, which he just knew he'd be there. Then the goal itself, like I said, the wonderful kind of ghosting run to head home. And then he's at the other end of the pitch, clearing the ball outside his own goal uh, goal line. He is, I've said this so many times, but I'll continue to say it, Spurs are so lucky to have him. To have got a player like that for free, and to have him as your all-time top goal scorer, the Premier League's second top all-time goal scorer, England's record goal scorer, you know, yes, of course he deserves a trophy. Of course he does. But I'm sorry, but if Harry Kane is not considered one of the greats when he hangs up his boots, I, I just don't know what else you can do as a player individually to achieve that because he is phenomenal. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. Is he going to be at Spurs next season? Yes. Yeah, I think he will be. Uh, whether that's a case of he'll just see out his contract and then go the following season or he signs a new contract uh, as well. Uh, but then again, you know, Tottenham on his registration. If any club makes a bid, Daniel Leaving can just say, no, he's our player. I, I think he'll still be a Tottenham player next season. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I, I see a lot of kind of reporters and this is not to be kind of uh, disrespectful in any way but it's reporters not associated with the club or sorry don't cover the club on a regular basis that say oh Daniel Levy has to sell him this summer because you can't you wouldn't allow him to go for free I would turn that round and say I would have thought Spurs would pay 70-80 million to have Kane for another season (laughs) that's just my way of looking I genuinely think you would because I think he's so important. And if he gets you Champions League football next season, that pays that back. Um, and, you know, you've got another year then to try and convince him um, to stick around with whatever the next phase of the project is. I do think a lot less people would have issues with him if he left. I think it would be, you know, you'd kind of would able to understand it, although it would be wonderful for him to be a one-club man. Um, but yeah, if I'm Spurs, I'm thinking, no, why would I let him go this summer? Why would I? It's like, I know it sounds ridiculous, like what, 70, 80 million, whatever. I think when it's Harry Kane, I just, I think, I think you pay that because who knows what happens with they, they spend, we've seen Spurs get money for players before and absolutely waste it. You know, there is no guarantee that they, Send uh, they sell Harry Kane, let's say they bring in another striker or whatever, an attacking midfielder. There is no guarantee that that striker comes in and scores the amount of goals they want him to score. Spurs, if they don't replace Harry Kane adequately, could be in problem, big problems next season. Forget Champions League football, they could go back to you know, they could easily go back to mid table mediocrity, if not worse. Some people might fear. So, I just think. We're talking about gambles. We're talking about the risks in pointing to certain managers. I think letting Harry Kane go is one of the biggest risks. 
And I know that could be rubbish for Harry Kane if, if he in his mind has thought, you know, maybe I want to go off somewhere and do something. But I guess he also, if he doesn't want to sign a new deal, he has that in the back of his mind that, okay, you know, I have that last year. Let's see that out. Let's go out on a high at Spurs. But who knows? Who knows what the future holds? He might look at the options out there and the clubs he could go to. We don't know what the landscape's going to look like in another year's time, whether Haaland will still be at City, you know, all the links with Real Madrid. I know Pep says that there is no such clause that he can go there. Um, we don't know what Man U will look like. Man U could go get better next season or they could get worse. They, they're they no guarantee of silverware. United still, I would say, at the moment. Obviously, I know they, uh, they won the Carabao Cup this year, but I wouldn't say they're a team that you go there and you're guaranteed of trophies. I'd say probably City are the only club that guarantee you that. Um, so, yeah, I, it, who knows what will happen? But I think I'm like you. I think personally at this moment, I think I see him at the club next season. Um, I just would love to see him there for longer because he's just so important to Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, very much so. Moving on to Saturday's Premier League game against Aston Villa then at Villa Park. I think a repeat of last season's 4-0 win uh, in the Midlands would would uh, go down very nicely. I don't think it'll be like that this time. Villa doing really, really well under Unai Emery. Have lost the last two, though, uh, away at Wolves and Man U. So Villa will be looking for home comforts to get them back on track. Things stand. Three points between the sides. If Spurs win on uh, Saturday, then you'd think that virtually is going to secure them a top seven place and the European spot for next season as I think it'd be goal difference separating the sides. Although, yeah, Villa could overturn that in the two games. That just leaves Spurs needing a point uh, from Brentford at home and Leeds away, what you would imagine they would do. Uh, so it's going to be a really, really interesting one and and we're saying if Spurs win this, they're in a really good position for European football, most notably probably the Europa League, providing, of course, that Brighton drop a couple more points in the running. Yeah, I mean, Brighton's still got some tough games to play, obviously. Um, I must admit, there is a part of me that is incredibly sad that we're talking about securing European football rather than trying to go for the top four and you know, some form of European football already have been secured, especially when you see, you know, some of the teams stuttering a little bit around in and around the top four. And uh, Spurs had just sorted themselves out. They would have had a chance. So, yeah, there is a real sad aspect of it to me. But, you know, now you just can only target what you can target. Um, Villa will be interesting. Like you say, I kind of had forgotten about that game last season. It was so weird, wasn't it? The crowd, there was a great atmosphere. Villa started really well and it looked like it was going to be a struggle for Spurs. And then it just suddenly started picking them off, didn't they? It absolutely tore them apart. Um, yeah, that would be very nice if they could do that again. Um, I don't think it would be that easy. I think Unai Emery obviously has, has done a, a decent job at Villa since he's come in. I yeah, like I reiterate what I said earlier in the show, I'd be quite happy to see the same team again and the formation. I think it would be quite a, a good solid one to go to as an away setup as well. Um, yeah, tough game. If they can do it, yeah, I, th- I think you could argue they're pr- pretty much almost there, uh, all but there in certainly the Conference League and. And we'll have to see what happens with Brighton and whether they kind of bounce back from 
the drubbing by your lot or whether they, um, you know, it kind of knocks them. I think there's going to be a lot of tired players at Brighton. I think, you know, they've had a tremendous season and everything they've put into it. Um, but yeah, no, it's going to be a fascinating one at Villa Park. It's uh, like you say, you know, when we're talking about Ryan Mason, I think that is going to be a big test. That's going to be a good one uh, because he did. He was in charge for the home game, wasn't he, against Villa when Regulon sliced it into his own net, Oh, yeah. Yeah, forgot about that. Yes. So that was like one of the low points of that. Although he won the four out of the six, one of the two defeats, that one, that was one of them. And that was a really, really poor display. After a bright start, I think Bergwijn scored quite early, didn't he? And he kind of thought they were going to go on and do something. And then, yeah, Regulon sliced it back into his own net. Um. So, yeah, so he'll have something to prove, I think, against Villa as well. But, yeah, if he can come through this, um, kind of outthink Emery tactically as well, it will be. It will be another kind of um, box ticked for him in in his quest to to win more hearts and minds, as it were, for the Spurs job. Um, I hope he does because, yeah, like you say, I know there's this debate about European football next season and some fans are saying, oh, you know, we don't want it. We don't, we don't, we're just concentrating on the league. And there's, I must admit, concentrate on what? <laughs> we're suddenly thinking Spurs are challenging for the title next season. I think that maybe we'd be fooling ourselves slightly. Uh, you never know. You know, obviously Arsenal have made a big jump this season and where they finished and what they were doing this season. But I personally want European football. I think a lot of those fans that enjoy the European trips want European football. I think the players would want European football. And I think if you want a big squad to challenge in the Premier League next season, I think you need European football to keep a lot of those players satisfied and and getting minutes. So, And also, young players. You know, there's a lot of young players I think we'd like to see get some game time as well. And whether you agree with it or not, I think the Conference League, if that is to be the one that Spurs end up in, is also a good kind of breeding ground, as it were, to to let some youngsters get some time as well. Um, And... Also, I know this is slightly contrasting with what I just said about using youngsters, but Spurs cannot give up another route to potentially getting a trophy. They cannot be fussy. So, uh, yeah, no, I'd be I'd be very happy if they can come away with a good performance on Saturday and at least build some kind of foundation for what we're going to see next season. Yep. Right, we'll leave that there for today's episode of Gold and Guest Hot Tottenham as ever. Thank you for listening in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.